Let us open the scriptures to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, we will read verses 1 through 10. As you probably know, um, Deuteronomy is um, basically the final speech, final sermon that Moses gave at the end of his life after leading God's people through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. In uh, the last chapters before our text, or before our reading here, um, Moses, on behalf of God, had warned the people that if they would obey the Lord, they would be blessed, but if they would disobey Him and forget about Him, He would send judgment and curse. And uh, here in Deuteronomy 30, Moses kind of wraps up that part of his, of his sermon. So hear now the word of God from Deuteronomy 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart in the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We now turn to Psalm 44 in our Bibles. Psalm 44. And this is a psalm that uh, clearly is uh, written in a time where God's people found themselves in exactly the situation where Deuteronomy 30 started. And that is that the Lord had um, scattered his disobedient people to many nations, and they were in exile, pining for the land, the good land from which they had come. 
And so Psalm 44 is a prayer in that situation. Psalm 44, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. O God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days and the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and the reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secret of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we tell our children about the Lord? When we think about our God, what is the big story that we have to tell 
about who he is and what he has done and why it is so important for us that we dedicate our lives to him. Do you have a story to tell? And does that story live for you so that it gives you hope in trouble and praise when things go well and an answer when people ask you? Psalm 44 presents the big story about the Lord as the Israelites would have told it. Told it among themselves, told it to foreigners, but it was especially the story that they passed on to their children. The story they would tell over and over so that the children would not forget and the grandchildren would learn it. That's how the psalm begins. O God, we have heard with our ears and our fathers have told us. If it, were, if, or it is the story of what God has done for his people. If you were a child in Israel, you would hear about the rescue from slavery from Egypt. You would hear about the journey through the wilderness and how the Lord provided even there. About the way in which he gave them a land to live in and helped them fight off the enemy. You would hear about the golden age, especially under David and Solomon, when the nation of Israel was happy and secure, prosperous and wealthy, greatly blessed by the Lord. That is what the Israelites would tell their children. And I hope that you tell those stories as well. We may not be Israelites, but as believers in the God of Israel, we may look at the Israelites and claim their history as our history. We may claim them as our ancestors in the faith. The Lord cared for his Old Testament church in a wonderful history, and we'd better know that history. But of course, we have more to tell. We also tell our children about the fulfillment of God's promises and the greatest of all his deeds, how he, sent, how he sent his son to the earth to become a simple human being like us. We tell how Jesus Christ preached the kingdom of God, how he was put to death by wicked people, but brought to life by the power of God. Those are the greatest stories that we have to tell. And as you think about these stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament, what, what is the emphasis in those stories? What message do we really want to drive home in them? We don't tell these stories for fun, for entertainment. We tell them because they have meaning. Now in Psalm 44, you see that the focus is on the fact that the Lord did all these things. Verse 3, it was not really by their own sword that they won the land. Verse 4 goes on to say that God ordained salvation for Jacob. That is, he determined that they would win. 
He gave them the victory. These are not stories about military prowess, about being the strongest country in the world. No, these stories bring out the greatness of God and how He willingly and generously defended His people and gave them success over and over. And in the same way as New Testament believers, we may, we must tell about the way in which the church spread throughout the world and how our ancestors worshipped the Lord and how they uh, made their living and then settled in Canada and were successful in their businesses. All these stories we should tell to our children. But in all these things we should show, especially to our children, the most important facts about that history, and that is, it was the Lord who guided his church. It was he who brought our forefathers safely here. It was he who gave them and who still gives us success. And we should communicate that to our children. And as we do so, it should stand out for all those who hear our, our stories, it should stand out as verse 3b says, it was your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, Lord, for you delighted in them. That ought to be the focus. Now how do these stories that we have heard and that we pass on to our children inform our everyday living? Well, it is this understanding of our history that gives us a healthy perspective in all of our life. You see, it tells us that we are in a relationship with God, a relationship that we often call the covenant, in which He is always there for us. He is the God who is amazingly good, powerful, reliable and generous to us. The way in which he guided the Israelites of old and the way in which he guided his church, the way in which he was with our forefathers, that tells us that we too live in the light of his face with the Lord of heaven and earth smiling at us. Whatever challenge comes our way, we can say, but God is with us. And so if, when you look down in verse 8, that tells us what, what this all means to our everyday life. In God, we boast continually. And we will give thanks to His name forever. Any day of the week, any time of the day, we hold on to the conviction that the Lord is good to us and that gives us great confidence. That gives us a song in our heart. And we can express this in, this in psalms of praise. We can summarize it in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. I belong body and soul in life and in death to Jesus Christ, who is my faithful Savior. This should show in our lives as deep joy, as a source of confidence that tells us that our life has meaning and hope because it's a life with the best God that you could ever wish for. This is what believers confess. 
This is the truth to which they cling with all their hearts. That was true for the believers who wrote Psalm 44. And may it be true for us today. It's not always easy. We have to be real about that. Life doesn't always feel that way. And our life experiences may often seem to tell the opposite. The challenges and suffering of real life often seem to belie the great story about God and His mighty deeds. The Bible never hides that fact. And here also, verse 9, after these glorious verses 1 through 8, there's verse 9, and it starts with the word, but, but. And then in the eight verses that follow, a second story is told, true to life, a story that sounds quite different. So what difficult situation did God's people face in Psalm 44? Well, the psalmist lived in a time of political unrest and war. The Israelites had to defend themselves against enemies. But when they went to war, there was no miraculous victory, no help from heaven, as the stories had told them from the time of Joshua. It seemed that the Lord no longer fought for them, as he had done in the early years. And the battles, they end in defeat, in humiliation, death. The bravest soldiers feel helpless like sheep among wild animals. The people feel like slaves worth so little they're auctioned off for a few pennies. They're no longer proud to be an Israelite, to belong to the people of God. Instead, it is a name of shame and the world is laughing at them. If you read the two Psalms that come before Psalm 44, so Psalms 42 and 43, you will see more details there of people who, who taunt them and say, so, where is that God now, eh? You told all these stories about your mighty God. Well, where is he? What's he doing? People make fun of their faith. How does that fit with the great stories our fathers told us? And when we go through dark times, don't we wonder the same thing? Don't we ask the same kinds of questions? Why does the Lord allow this? Where is he anyway? Is there an answer to that question? If someone struggles with that and says, so where's God in my life? Things are so bad. What can we say? What answer can we give? Well, we often like to say things like, well, we can't understand the Lord's ways, but they are good. Or we may say, well, you may not experience Him right now, but He is there anyway. Those answers may be true. They're well-meant and they often are less than helpful. So, does Psalm 44 give an answer? It doesn't. Instead, 
The psalmist, on behalf of his people, challenges the Lord. The poet in Psalm 44 cannot and will not accept this situation. So how does he do that? Well, in this psalm appeals to God's justice. And you see that in verses 17 and following. Yes, there are situations in which we may not and cannot expect to experience God's favor. And those are the times when we sin against the Lord. And there are plenty of stories about that too. Remember, in that same book of Joshua, where the Lord, Lord fought for his people and the walls of Jericho came down, the next chapter, you had the sin of Achan, and the Lord did not help his people in the next battle against the tiny town of Ai, and many died. In the times of the judges, rebellion of God was followed by the judgment of God. And the Lord had told his people that this would happen. Deuteronomy 29 spells this out in much detail, a very long chapter that talks about how sin leads to a curse instead of blessing. But here in Psalm 44, God's people say very explicitly, Lord, we have not done this. We have not been rebellious. You know, Lord, that we have not even sinned in secret. Verse 21, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. No, say the people here, we have been faithful to you, Lord. We have kept your covenant. And didn't you say that you would favor those who fear you, that you would bless those who keep your covenant? And you can take it even a step further. As we read in Deuteronomy 30, even if God's people sinned and experienced judgment, even then he had promised that there was a way back to blessing. Repentance and return to God would also bring back the favor of the Lord, especially later in, his, in Israel's history. This was always the message of, of the prophets. The prophets announced judgment, and they always said, but come back to me, my people, and then I will bless you again. That was the promise. And yet, says Psalm 44, even though we are serving the Lord, even though we have repented of our sin, here we are in our misery, crushed by your judgment in depressing darkness, verse 19, the shadow of death, we are dying like animals in a butcher shop. We are like sheep to be slaughtered, verse 22. Lord, don't you see how wrong this is? And the psalm does not say it directly, but the question is right there below the surface. Lord, are you still the God of the great stories that we loved when we grew up? Are you still the God of justice? Are you still the God of these great promises of restoration? Because if you are, we should not be in these circumstances. Is that something you would dare to say? When you go through difficult times and you don't experience the favor of the Lord, would you dare pray a prayer like this? 
Would you dare to complain to God? Psalm 44 basically invites us to do so. These words are meant to be sung by God's people, not just as a religious ritual, but as an actual prayer from the bottom of our hearts. And I don't know about you, but there, there are several reasons why people may not be too comfortable with this, this depth of emotion in the Psalms. Maybe we simply don't really expect God's blessing to be noticeable in our everyday lives. We may struggle during the week, but maybe we think that has nothing to do with God. Or perhaps we reserve religion only for Sunday. We like to hear the nice sermons about how good God is, but then we don't expect it to be about real life. Maybe we think that God's blessing will only take shape after this life. And, and it is true that, that the Lord may call us to suffer for the sake of the kingdom, and we must look forward to the time of Jesus' return when he will wipe away all tears. It's a future promise. But the healthy faith in God will also result in blessing in your life and an experience of blessing. Not that believers should expect to be rich and healthy and popular. That's not the blessing God has promised. But we can expect, we must expect, an assurance of our faith and the joy of salvation and peace with God. Those have been promised to us. And if those are missing, then something is wrong. If you sincerely believe in God and He seems to be absent and you don't find any joy in worshiping Him, then it may be time to take Psalm 44 on your lips and to make it your own because God has promised those things to those who love Him. He will give His Holy Spirit and His grace to those who ask Him for these things. Or maybe you're uncomfortable with the Pledge of Innocence in Psalm 44. Is that something we would dare to say, verse 17? All this has come upon us, even though we have not forgotten you, we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back, our steps have not departed from your way. We rightly recognize that we are all sinners. Even believers still often, too often, violate God's way. So then how can we even pray this psalm? How, how can we sing a song of innocence? Who of us is truly innocent? Haven't we all deserved judgment to be forsaken by God? But the believers who prayed Psalm 44, they were not arrogant or naive about sin. They knew the way of forgiveness. As long as they relied on the forgiving grace of the Lord, which in their time was clearly visible in the sacrifices in the temple, as long as they relied on that grace, they could honestly say, 
that they were faithful to the Lord because their sin was forgiven. And the same is certainly true for the Christian believer. We also know the stories about Jesus Christ. We know about his sacrifice on the cross. We know the Lord Jesus as the one who took away our sin and carried it away. If we rely on him in faith, we may be certain of forgiveness. And we have that forgiving grace of the Lord. And only then. And then we too can pray the prayer of the innocent. And so we can pray and sing with Psalm 44, Lord, we stand before you, cleansed of our sin. So then, Lord, why, why don't we experience your blessing as you have promised? Why don't you show yourself to us in your grace? Haven't you promised us the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit? That is the prayer in Psalm 44. And the conclusion of the psalm is a passionate, powerful prayer that you too may pray if there only seems to be trouble and you don't experience the nearness of the Lord. So what is that prayer? Verse 23. Awake, Lord. Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Why are you hiding your face? Why are you forgetting our affliction and oppression? What a bold thing to say. Shaking the Lord awake because he's not doing what he promised he would do. That's what this psalm does. But the psalmist is so certain of God's favor to him that he can only imagine that the Lord must somehow not be paying attention. And you may say, well, isn't that a bit irreverent? Of course God doesn't sleep. The watcher of Israel does not slumber or sleep, Psalm 121, so there. God doesn't forget. Doesn't he know everything? But from our limited human perspective, it may seem that the Lord reacts slowly. He may seem to be hiding. And Psalm 44 does not cover up those feelings, but encourages us to pour out our hearts to the Lord. If he doesn't seem to see you, to listen to you, then pray. Pray often and pray boldly. Pray like this psalm. And then the last two verses of the psalm summarize that prayer and they drive it home. Lord, we are suffering. Our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Now rise up and help us. We need your help. Give it to us. And that is the kind of prayer that the Lord will listen to. He listened when Psalm 44 was prayed for the first time, and he listens when God's people pray it today. How can we be sure that this prayer will be heard? Because those stories that we heard from our parents, they are true. The Lord is the helper of his people. 
He was there long ago, and he will always be there. And he loves us out of the grace and mercy of his heart. His is a steady and unchanging love. Our faith in Jesus is faith in the personified grace and faithfulness of God on which you can always rely. And so you can pray to the Lord, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. That is the basis of our prayer. Or say it in, in terms of the New Testament. Redeem us for the sake of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who is the grace of God who dwelt among us. And that is what we should learn to pray. And that's what we should teach our children to pray. Teach them and tell them the old stories of the things that the Lord did for his people. And then tell them the story of what he has done for you in your life. And how he was there even in the most difficult circumstances. And how he answered your prayers. Tell that to your children. So that one day they can pray that same prayer when they go through difficult times. And when they wonder, is the God of my parents and grandparents still there? Tell them these things, not as a cheap story, but as the reality of your life, so that he becomes our boast all day long, and so that we and our children will praise his name forever. And all God's people say, Amen.